Berkey here, host of the Sequel Cast, and this episode uh, starts off with a segment with me talking with Matt Crioni of LevelSave.com about Godfather 3, and then we move on to a, a regular sort of podcast uh, format of me talking with Thrasher for Godfather 3. Enjoy. Send the trailer! Harmless noise! Bullshit! After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. They are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. I remember back when I was a kid, they would always have the Godfather movies on television. Right. And they would never show Godfather 3. It, it was like it was like the kid that you just want to keep in a corner. Like, no one wants to talk about him. <laughs> Uh, so it was kind of like this mysterious thing for me. And then I remember the day I got that box set, it's the first one I popped in and watched. Mm. I was so excited for it. And, eh, you know, it's not as great as the first two. It's not as perfect, but I love it. And for a long time, it was my favorite in the series, Mm. which people's heads explode when I tell them that, but oh, well, (laughs) My head exploded a little bit. I agree. It's not as bad as people say. I'm almost reminded of Rocky Five in a way. And wow. That it's a movie. I haven't seen that in so long. Yeah. Uh, and that it's a movie with some good, I think you have some good ideas. You can see they almost were, mm-hmm. were there, but they just didn't quite make it, which makes it yeah. frustrating. But yeah, this one is just, uh, I don't know, something about it when I was a kid. I mean, I was, uh, my parents, uh, they were into like that time period, like the 70s. Uh-huh. So me just watching a movie that takes place then really connected with me. So you'd watch it with your family or? Uh, actually, yes, I would watch this with my mom sometimes uh, whenever it was on. Later on, they started showing it on television and yeah, it would be on. I'd like walk in the room. She'd be watching it. So and just when I was a kid, I was always like, wow, Pacino has some cool hair in this movie. <laughs> He does. He does. It's it's spiked up. It's a weird, yeah. you know. It, and it's Pacino. It's before Scent of a Woman. It's before he gets so uh, famous with his his screaming and all his hoo has Yes, it's before he became you know Pacino the caricature. Right. And he was still Pacino the actor. Have you seen the with, clip of a Pacino from the Adam Sandler movie Jack and Jill? I saw the trailer. Okay. And- I uh, I don't ever want to see that movie. <laughs> yeah, so I have not seen the whole film, but uh, I guess in the film there's a fake commercial that Al Pacino does playing himself rapping uh, for a pizza uh, place, no. and he throws in lines from his films like "I knew it was you." <laughs> it's 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 completely. Uh, I think it's like Pacino's Cappuccino or something like that. But it's it, uh, it it's funny, but it's like sad at the same time. Uh, but and I actually. Actually, no, I actually have not seen the actual trailer for Jack and Jill. I saw the YouTube video where they had the interspersed reaction cuts from George <laughs> C. Scott uh, <laughs> screaming at the screen about, why are you doing this? That's the only trailer I've ah, seen. Ah, okay, that. yeah. So, oh, oh, that movie. <laughs> Adam Sandler is one of the more successful Saturday Night Live uh, people. Yeah, I don't get it. Movie for movie. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't like... understand it. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I think Billy Madison I recall liking. Um, That's a movie that I loved as a kid, but I 
haven't seen it since I was a kid. So huh. yeah, you know, I haven't either. I bet you on, on a rewatch that one might be a bit uh, yeah painful. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that Oof. disappointing when that happens? Like, there's something you you love. So, oh yeah, you love so you much. revisit a movie and you're like, oh, this was awesome, and right. then you watch it again, and you're like, oh no, 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 what was I thinking? <laughs> I had that experience with, I got, uh, this was like a, a year or two ago, I got Willow when it came out on Blu-ray. So I, did I. And, okay, and I grew up uh, <laughs> yeah. watching the film. I had the collector's cup from Wendy's mm-hmm. uh, with the bad artwork on it, mm-hmm. and I pop it in, and you know, maybe because it's uh, after Lord of the Rings and all this stuff, but it's like, oh my God, like I think it has a good music score. I think mm-hmm. you got some, uh, Val Kilmer's pretty good, but it does not hold up especially well. No, 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 it doesn't. No, no, it do- no, no, it doesn't. Uh, same thing happened um, with uh, the Goonies. I used to, when I was a kid, mm, I thought that okay. movie. I thought that movie was perfect. Yeah. And now I'm watching it now. I'm like, wow, this uh, this shows some cracks. This has a lot of like. I mean, it's still a fun time, but it's not the masterpiece I thought it was when I was a kid. Well, even something from the '80s compared to today, the pacing is so yes. uh, much slower and different, and, and it's more much so different. the further back you go. Mm-hmm. Um, but. To tie it back to the the Godfather uh, Part Three, which we're, we're talking about allegedly, uh, yes, <laughs> it is. You know, even though this movie came out in 1990, it still has that 1970s style of acting for the most part. Where I think yes. it's it's pretty subdued. Uh, Sofia Coppola, notwithstanding, yeah, her. Um, mm. we'll, we'll get to her. We'll get to her. But uh, sure, the thing I liked about with the cast in this movie, the reason I think it has that feel of like the old 70s acting, it's all the original actors. From yes. the first two films coming back, even people who had like one or two lines in, say, The Godfather 2, they show up for a scene here. Uh, Vincent's mother, uh, who Sonny was with at the wedding in the first one, she shows up for a scene. And it's like, oh, wow, that's her. That's the same same woman. Oh, I didn't they realize fa- it was the same actress. Wow. I'm, yeah, okay. yeah, that's her. Yeah, it's, uh, You got it's Johnny cool. Fontaine is in the beginning? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, so. it's kind of like a it's kind of like a reunion show. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a, or like, yeah, it's like a family reunion. Like this, the Corleone family's getting back together for one last hurrah to tell a little more of their story. Now, you mentioned on Twitter you uh, were watching this with the the commentary. Yes, from the director yes. Francis Ford Coppola. That it's been it's been about ten years since I watched that with the commentary, but uh, I recall it having some pretty juicy information in there. Yeah, he. Uh, he kind of defends Sophia, which, mm-hmm. uh, all right. It's his daughter. She, I know, but she, okay, she's she's not good, Mm-mm. but she's not as awful as you remember, you know? I mean, I the way I justify her is, like, I look at her as, like, she's just a young girl lost in the world of all this, like, high finance and her father, you know, and she just comes off as confused and lost, for most of the movie, which kind of makes sense. And it doesn't help that she's surrounded by heavyweights. Yes, she's surrounded by, you know, Andy Garcia and mm-hmm. uh, Al Pacino. It's it's like, oh, okay. The only person that maybe is, you know, George Hamilton. But, I mean, I don't even think they have many scenes together. <laughs> I wish they would have had, like, Christina Ricci in the part instead. Although I don't think she yeah. would have been that old at the time. Uh, yeah, she... Uh, I don't think she would have been old enough. No, it might have been like, that was still Adam's family, huh? That was, I think this was before Adam's family, and she was really young oh, in Adam's okay. family. Okay, well, maybe not. Maybe like an older Christina Ricci or... But I know, I know originally it was supposed right. to be Winona Ryder. Yeah, that makes sense. 
and she dropped out, right. which is upsetting. But then again, she got to be in uh, Dracula eventually, which mm-hmm. I love that movie. <laughs> that's a that's a fun Coppola movie. Yeah, that uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula is a lot better than the the one Kenneth Branagh came out with his uh, Frankenstein picture. I hate that movie. <laughs> and Francis Ford Coppola was an executive producer on that. But yeah, yeah. I, I never understood that. And actually, just the other day, someone was trying to tell me that it was good. Like, someone I know in real life. <laughs> and I'm just look, I'm looking him dead in the eyes. I'm like, oh, I, 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 you're wrong. <laughs> that's, that's weird. No, that's a bad movie. I think it's funny. I don't think it's trying to be funny. Yeah, yo, it, it's very uh, unintentionally hilarious at sure. times. Uh I had to fast forward through that one a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was one of those uh, dollar bin DVDs a couple years ago. Sure. Not even widescreen, just full screen. Ouch. Yeah, it was. Didn't help. Didn't. No, it did not help. So, where do you stand? Uh, you're mentioning the dollar bin DVDs and stuff. What do you think about mm-hmm. physical media? Do you still have a big DVD and Blu-ray collection, or do you just I... watch everything on Netflix? Um, I'll watch uh, random movies on Netflix or like TV series that mm-hmm. I don't have the money for, but I love physical media. Uh, I've had people walk into my room and see my Blu-ray and DVD collection and go, Oh, wow. Okay. Cause I mean, it's close to a thousand movies that I own. Okay. So, I mean, my walls are just covered. Like I have a closet that's nothing but movies. It's, right. It's kind of frightening. I and I love. I just love the packaging. I love the special features. Sure. Because you don't get the you don't get special features or commentaries on Netflix or true. or Amazon Prime or things like that. I mean, I, I know Hulu Plus has some of the Criterion collection, but you're not going to get any of the special features they usually come up with, and they're usually pretty stellar. So. Right, not to mention when you're watching a movie streaming, the quality jumps all over the place. It doesn't. It jumps all over the place. Oof. Yeah. But yeah, I'm a huge fan of uh, physical media. How about you? Uh, you know, I've cut down on my physical media a bit. I, I mm-hmm. still like it, but I've just been trying to uh, to save money. My wife and I want to buy a house in a few years, so we're trying to save some money yeah, and best cut back to, on expenses. Best to cut down, yeah. Uh, right, yeah, and uh, going out buying a Blu-ray or two every week doesn't help with yeah. that. So. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I, I, uh, I do like that sort of stuff, and uh, the special features, I think, is a good point. And you could probably integrate that into a streaming service um, if you wanted to. I think what's what's more frustrating, and we'll get back to Godfather 3 in a second, but I thought this would be a fun tangent. Oh, sure. It is that um, a pretty bad example is look at what they did for the Star Trek Into Darkness Blu-rays where they took the special features and split it up, where if you get it from Best Buy, mm-hmm. you get this documentary. The iTunes version gets a commentary, but the disc doesn't. Oh, but yeah. if you get it from Walmart, you get a, uh, a Spock bobblehead. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, some t- they'll even split it up like that if a movie's on like iTunes or not. Um, uh, my friend was telling me that he got the movie Rush, uh, the Howard, uh, Ron Howard movie, right, off yeah. of iTunes, and one of the special features on there was a commentary I checked my Blu-ray. The commentary is not there. Hmm. So that was really upsetting. Right. And Star Trek Into Darkness that <laughs> did that same thing. And I wonder if that's the same yeah, studio, just... maybe. Uh, that's interesting. It up all over. It's, it's sure. uh, Universal, I think. I'm not sure exactly. Huh. I should look at um, Paramount, maybe. I think Paramount is Star Trek. Paramount so. is Star Trek. Uh, yeah. Was it Rush? I'll look this up here. 
Because that's weird that they. That is univer- so it is two different studios. Okay, yeah. it is. But it's it's. I guess the only word you could use to describe the splitting up special features like that is just lame. That's. That's not. No, no one wants to deal with that. Right, it's lame, it's greedy. I mean, it's one thing if you got some super deluxe special edition with a figurine yeah. and a T-shirt you want to charge a hundred bucks for, whatever. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, I mean, it's splitting up. I mean, there's less people buying physical media now than before, and you're just going to divide that up even further. Yeah, I mean, you'd think that they'd want to just put them all in one place on a Blu-ray or DVD just sure. you know, to get people to buy that. And, I mean, right. they, pro- they probably make more money off of the physical media anyway, so sure. why would you – yeah, why would you split it up between the digital – I don't know. I don't understand it. It's, it's upsetting. <laughs> it is. Um, so back to Godfather 3, I'm really amazed they only had six weeks to do this script. I mean, they really had to rush this yeah, film they... to get it with that Christmas deadline. It was a sprint, not a marathon. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, you know, Robert Duvall uh, not being in the film hurts it a bit. But on the other hand, George Hamilton, who they have playing basically the, the same role the, as the consigliere. The Tom Hagen role, the yeah. The Tom Hagen role doesn't get a lot to do. So, Yeah, so it would have been a little, maybe almost pointless for Duvall to be in there. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking so. I mean, you I mean think- not, not pointless, but, but what was he going to do, show up for a week? Right, and that you yeah. have the character of Tom Hagen's son who doesn't really do anything. No, he's just the guy in the Vatican. Right. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's another thing I loved about this movie. Uh, the whole introducing the the real-life uh, events of like the assassination, uh, assassination of the Pope with those theories and the Vatican Bank scandal. Because when I was a kid, I was a, well, I still am. I'm a history buff. I like learning about mm. things that happened. So the fact that... Uh, this movie had the Vatican Bank scandal, and then I looked into it. I was like, oh, there really was a scandal with the Vatican Bank, and they really did lose all this money. Whenever I see those parts of this film, I always get a bit lost. I certainly need to read more into actually what mm-hmm. happened, and I think I'd appreciate it more of what the film mm-hmm. is referencing. And I mean, I've always known that the that Pope died really quick after he became Pope, and uh, there was always these conspiracy theories going yeah. about, and to fit it in with the Corleone saga is pretty i'll go say ingenious that the fact that they would attempt that and i think they pull it off with the whole uh climax of the film right the climax of the film is is pretty strong i do mm-hmm. wonder though after godfather 2 got such great reviews for having two time two stories in two different timelines i wonder if they ever thought of that for godfather 3 um, much like the first film is just one storyline straight through and the second one is the two parts, and then, yeah. well, if you if you listen to what Coppola says, he always considered this to be an epilogue, right? Uh, and for a while, I think the screenplay was the death of Michael Corleone. That's right. And then the studio was like, "Yeah, no, you're not doing that. We just Godfather Part Three, thank you." So he always considered this to be the epilogue of the whole story. Which, if you watch it that way, it kind of makes sense. It it flows. Because the first two films are so close together in timeline. I mean, they're only mm-hmm. separated by about, what is it, like five, six years, if that? Right. Maybe ten or so. And this one is clearly like 20 years, 50, uh, longer than that after the first one. Uh, the second one, I mean. Mm-hmm. Do you like it's... what they do with uh, Michael's son in the film, where it turns out he wants to be an opera singer? 
Um, uh, that, that I never really got into. I mean, they need it for the movie to like set up that whole climax in the opera house. But other than that, they could have just been going to the opera that night as a family. Sure. I don't know. This, the, the kids aren't really given much to do other than become an opera singer and carry on a really creepy romance with her cousin. That's the part that always that always stuck with me as a huge flaw for this film. Not just her acting, but the fact that oh, that yeah, you're kind of related. What do you stop that? <laughs> and they could have had it without them being related, and I think it it could yes, have and spent exactly. a bit more time on the romance mm-hmm. between them to make the the ending sort of that more shocking. Yes, definitely. Because at this point, it's just like yeah, you see that coming from a. Not from a distance distance, but once you get close, you're like, oh, this bad thing is going to happen because of this. Uh, everyone in the Corleone family eventually has to pay for their sins. Right. Except for um, Michael's sister, apparently. Yeah, Connie just sort of lays back. and uh, I mean, I, I think uh, Talia Shire does a really good job in this film. She might be my favorite part of Godfather 3, just the fact that in the first two movies, uh, in the first one, you know, she's this abused wife. In the second one, she's trying to be this, you know, aloof and distant, like, socialite, you know, with her, her new husband and just flying around the country. Right. In the third one, she becomes a cold, hard master. Like, she's ordering hits on Joey Zaza behind Michael's back. She's pretty much becoming the head of the family without Michael or Vincent even knowing it. That is that is a real nice build. I think you're you're onto something, Matt. That's a it's a it's a lovely three film character arc that they gave her, and I think she gives one of her best performances in any movie in this film. Yeah, she's uh, she's very good. I mean, like you said, most of the cast just Diane Keaton comes back to play Kay. Yeah, and it's not a big part really, but it's good to see her mm-hmm. there again. Oh, it's certainly nice. It's like, oh, her. I remember Kay. What are you doing now? What are you, what are you up to? That's what this movie's a lot of. A lot of. Mm. What are these characters up to after all this time? And clearly, Connie was just becoming cold and bitter and wanting in on the family business. I mean, that's what happens. I mean, she even goes after Eli Wallach. Who, can we talk about him? How sure. awesome he is in this movie? He's very good. <laughs> uh, anytime... Uh, Eli Wallach is in a movie. It ups the the level of the film. I mean, the man just oozes charisma in anything he's done. I mean, I've seen him in a few films, and every time he's my favorite part of the film. He was my favorite part of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and his villain in this uh, is just so diabolical. And the way uh, he's, he, he's the, a way delight. he <laughs> the way his character dies, I think, is very clever. Yes, it's a it's clever and it's a nice callback to uh, the line in the first film, uh, the take the cannoli. Ah, right. And that you know something is coming, but you don't quite know when. And he's munching on this gigantic tray of desserts <laughs> until like, it finally Here. hits him. Oh, these are so delicious! <laughs> and then when Connie tricks him by like kind of tasting it, he's she's like, "Oh yes, it's delightful. Please have more. <laughs> <laughs> yes, have some." <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's that's. That's great when you just she pans over with her little opera glasses and sees him just chowing down on all these cannolis. Ah, 
And you kind of feel bad for him, but then again, you're like, wow, this guy's evil. He's really mean. <laughs> He's kind of sabotaged everything that Michael had planned. Right, Michael was just trying to finally get legitimate, which he's wanted to do all along. He's trying to get legitimate, and he's trying to be, like, get redemption. Yes. But with what he has done in the past movies, I mean, I don't know. Redemption seems a little little much. For sure, what... Yeah, he sure as hell is going to try. Yeah, he'll try, but I mean, I don't know. That whole Fredo thing, it's cold-blooded. Yeah. It's kind of hard to come back from. Very cold-blooded. I mean, he didn't pull the trigger himself, but he gave the orders. Mm-hmm. But in this whole world of, you know, the the mafia and all that, it's basically him. He just sent off his his henchman who shows up in this movie uh, and has a fun part in the uh, the finale, the, the classic godfather multi-pronged attack on the enemies. I really like the scene... Where they go and uh, kill off Joey Zaza, mm-hmm. where Vincent does. The way it's staged in the middle of the parade, it reminds oh, me awesome. <laughs> of some... Uh, it's awesome. It reminds me of some of the flashback uh, scenes of the young Vito Corleone yes, yes, from exactly. Godfather 2. And just to have uh, the Vincent just dressed up like a cop... Right. Shouting Zaza! Just going for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That last name is so perfect for that that little call. It's Zaza. It's good. Uh, or name my dog Zaza. That, that'd be a very good dog name. Zaza, yeah. Zaza, go fetch. <laughs> yeah, you could work it. It yeah. would work. Uh, Magtanya's good. He doesn't, he's a lot in the beginning. He's not a major part in yeah. the film. But, I mean, uh, he's typical, typical him, you know? Sure. But, but he's, he's, he's a delight. I love that word. He's a delight. <laughs> Andy Garcia I think it's better as the movie goes on. It's tricky. Oh, like, most he's, definitely. He's trying to be like Sonny, and then he sort of becomes mm-hmm. more like Michael. Yes. Which is a lot for uh, one character to do. To go through in one three-hour movie, yes. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, he is intense in this film. That first uh, part where uh, he's with the reporter, mm. and the two guys break in, that, you watch that scene, you're like, oh, wow, this this is so good. <laughs> I hope the rest of the movie is as good as this, and it's not, but it's fun. <laughs> yeah, that that's a good sequence. I'm distracted by his, like, 20 pounds of chest hair. Oh, his uh, Austin Powers scene. chest? No, Austin yes, Powers it's, uh, chest. It's, oof, it's brutal. Yes, but, you know, it was, it was the 90s. It was a different time. Well, it was uh, the 70s. Oh, the 70s. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yes. It takes place, sure. <laughs> Even more so, right? With all the, uh... Going period with this. <laughs> <laughs> I could see Coppola going, no, no, keep it. It's good. Now keep it. <laughs> Look at this beard. You keep that. Let's go. You know, I noticed in the credits that Industrial Light and Magic did some uh, work on this film. I'm wondering if they didn't CG in some chest hair. I'm pretty sure they did. I think they did. Pretty I, sure I, they I did. I hope so. I'd like to think they did. And I think they might have CG'd in some of uh, the Pacino hair as well for his head. <laughs> it could be. It very, is. Very possible. Yeah, it's it's a weird hairstyle. Um, but, you know, they, they want him to look older. They want him to look a bit different mm-hmm. little aged a uh, little um yes i guess you know uh, michael clearly reads uh, the newspapers he sees how you know younger kids are wearing their hair maybe he's like well maybe i won't look so old if i spike it up a little and put on some cool shades there you go uh, <laughs> always trying to be hip that michael i don't like the way pacino acts when uh michael is having a diabetic stroke 
that's a little over the top. It seems over the top, and then I don't know. Like I've never had a stroke myself. No, neither have I. But but it just seems like something out of a different movie. Yeah, it seems like I've seen you know strokes in films done better, but and he takes it to an extreme that I don't know. Maybe it happens like that, but I don't know. But him just like well, I did like him grasping for stuff, but uh, sure. But yeah, I mean, but that scene does have the classic line when I thought it was out, they pull me back in. Yeah, and the Sopranos used that line to yes, to they great did. Effect, of course, yes. So I guess we can thank that scene for that. But uh, yeah, the diabetic uh, stroke is a bit; it can be a bit much. Now, did but they mention s- him having diabetes in the other films? Um, no, I don't think so. It might have just been late set diabetes that he got somehow. I mean. I don't. I honest. I'm not gonna lie. I don't know how diabetes works, but yeah, I mean, I don't it know does. When, yeah, it, it does happen when people get older. They do get diabetes sometimes. But I think it mm-hmm. sort of undermines the character Al Pacino's uh, mm-hmm. portrayal of Michael is such a tough character. And then after, like around the right before the confession scene, he's clutching his chest and is begging a, a priest for orange juice and candy. But but that scene, I actually did. Like I liked the whole the whole confession scene. Oh, I think the confession is good. I just think having a, a scene where he's drinking orange juice and eating candy yes. and trying to calm down kind of kind of undercuts it a bit. You have it's a powerful well, moment where, where the line of dialogue is something like "I killed my father, uh, my mother's son. I killed my yes. father's son. I killed Can my I have brother." Some candy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, those ho hos are looking nice. Well, old people, yeah. old people love candy. They do. They do. My, they, all, uh, they love candy and they love Werther's originals. So. Maybe that's product placement. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I, I did look, did some research. Around this time, mm-hmm. there was a, a computer game called The Godfather that was like a side-scrolling Mario Brothers thing. Oh, geez. I need to play that, this. That's awful. I can send you the YouTube link. You can get it off like an abandonware site through a playthrough oh, DOS box do. or something. But it is awful. <laughs> like It doesn't have any music. I forget. <laughs> Uh, when it takes place, I think you're supposed to be someone that is working for The Godfather. The title screen is the same as the poster for Godfather 3 with uh, Michael wow. with the weird hair folding his hands uh, wow. in prayer. Uh, it's the Godfather game nobody like even knows exists, I think, because the ones that came out the ones that came out what 10 years ago or whatever for the, the 360 were yes, a bit more yes. famous. Did you play those? I had, I had uh, The Godfather, the first one, and... Uh, I liked it. It was basically Grand Theft Auto Godfather. So uh-huh. it was what it was. But it was cool to see, you know, be able to go through the Corleone compound and stuff like that, go into the house, see what's going on there. Sure. Um, I never played the second one. Uh, it got terrible reviews, so I didn't feel like wasting my $60 on yeah. the Godfather Part 2. The second one is not that good. I played it for like half an hour mm-hmm. and then tra- traded it back in. It's, oh, great. It, it's so far removed. From the Godfather 2 movie. I mean, the tutorial mm-hmm. takes place in the, the Cuba sequence when, they're, when the okay. rebels are under attack. But it's kind of like you have... They try to make it almost more like a SimCity kind of game because in, in the middle of doing your missions, you can hire guys to uh, to do hits on different buildings in like Miami, Cuba, and, and Las Vegas or something. And, so it's and like... They try to do a bit wait, too what? much. <laughs> yeah, like I think if they would have stuck to a straight Grand Theft Auto ripoff, like the first one was, oh, yeah. it would have been good, but instead they, it stretches itself uh, too thin. Oh, wow. Yeah, no so, wonder it got horrible reviews. Yeah. I, will con- I will continue to stay away from it. <laughs> well played. Yikes. 
so when you listen to the commentary, did anything jump out for you? Uh, basically just that, the whole him defending his daughter, which I mean, I guess he has to do because it's his kid, but yes, but I don't know. I don't know if I would be able to defend her totally. I mean, I tried earlier, but I don't know. Well, I mean, as, as, as a director, I think she's very good. Oh, she's phenomenal as a director. I mean, one of my favorite movies is Lost in Translation. I just think it's, it's so beautiful. The way it just shows everything that happens uh, with a crumbling relationship with uh, Giovanna Ribisi and uh, Johansson. Right. And, and, and the performance by Bill Murray is, that's top notch. That's, that's some good stuff right there. It's a good mixture of him being comedic and dramatic. And dramatic at the same time, which yeah. is, uh, is always nice. I always like it when he does that. Right. Then again, I just love Bill Murray, so that's probably my bias towards Lost in Translation. <laughs> Bill Murray's great even when he's on screen for just a few minutes like he's tend to been uh, doing lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just shows up for a little bit. He's like, waves right. at the camera. Hi, I'm Bill Murray. Remember me? And then the story goes on and he's never in it again. So He's even good in his cameo in the uh, Get Smart movie starring Steve Carell. Oh, that's my favorite part of that movie when he's in the tree? Yes, in the tree. <laughs> hey, you can hang out, right? Come on, <laughs> hang out for a little while. It'll be fun. <laughs> when I saw that in the theaters, I cracked up so hard. I think I was the the loudest laughter in the theater that day. Uh, that was wow. oh jeez, that was great. <laughs> oh man, yeah, Bill Murray's good. If only he was in this movie, <laughs> it'd be a little weird. But him and the Godfather would be it an was. interesting, an interesting thing. So, how much of that book, The Family Corleone, did you get to read? None. None. Okay, I only got to read about, like, uh, 100 pages, and it's like a Mm 500-page book. But it's pretty interesting. And and listeners, just to to fill you in. So at the end of the commentary for Godfather Part 3, Coppola goes in a fascinating rant about what Godfather Mm -hmm. 4 would have been, where it would have mirrored uh, Godfather 2 with having a split storyline, one with Vincent getting into the drug trade, and the others about sort of Vito kind of at his height, and uh, with Sonny being the oldest... I think like is like a teenager or something, maybe a bit older, like a young man. Mm-hmm. And Michael is more like a teenager, uh, as is Fredo. And the the book, The Family Corleone, and what's very strange is it's credited based off a screenplay by Mario Puzo, mm-hmm. uh, which you can't say for the other Godfather sequel books that came out uh, some yeah. time ago. I think those were Godfather Revenge and Godfather Returns. Yes. Yes. Um. But uh, the family Corleone, that book, uh, from what I read, it's just the the stuff in the past with Sonny, a lot of Sonny and Tom Hagen and Luca Brazzi, who isn't involved with the Corleones at that time. Okay, interesting. But in like a, one of the opening scenes is Tom Hagen is uh, kind of has a one night stand with a girl, and it turns out she is the uh, she's the the girlfriend or the wife of Luca Brazzi. Okay. Huh. So it kind of sets up that sort of relationship. You also get Sonny wanting to be in the family business, trying to do some gangster stuff by himself on the side because, you know, much like uh, Vito Corleone wanted all his sons to start out with, like, some legitimate business school before being involved Mm. in the family business. And Tom Hagen, even though he's not by blood a member of the family, he went to law school and he's about to start his career as a lawyer. 
but meanwhile, Sonny is just kind of fucking around with the uh, local thugs. So it's as is his want. Yeah, right. And uh, <laughs> so it's kind of the contrast between those two. And uh, I'd like to read more of it. It looks like, seems like it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And the idea at the time is they would have had, um, if they would have made the movie, they would have had young Leonardo DiCaprio play Sonny. Interesting. Interesting. I could see that. Then again, then again, DiCaprio has a a propensity to turn down big kind of roles like that right. in like franchise in franchise films. So I mean, I know he, I believe he turned down Spider Man. And he turned down uh, Anakin yes. Skywalker. Oh, I didn't hear about that. That makes sense. Uh, though, that think. was one of the rumors uh, okay. back when uh, the Phantom Menace was ramping up uh, that he was going to be playing uh, Anakin, and then that got dashed when he turned that down. I believe. Uh, hmm. Good for him. Good. Yeah. Good. Good for him. One good of the guys turning that down. <laughs> one of the guys that uh, turned down Spider-Man was Heath Ledger. Oh, and that would have been very strange. That would have been very, very strange. So he would have... So wait, the original Spider-Man franchise was done by the time The Dark Knight came out, right? Yes. But I mean, I'm talking about the original Spider-Man, not the... Oh, yeah. But, so I'm just, I'm just saying, like, he yeah. would have been Spider-Man and then the Joker. Right. Right. Had that happen. Interesting. Oof. Oof. I don't know about him as, as Spider-Man, though. That might be might be a bit much. He seems a little too intense to play a uh, fun, wisecracking Spidey. I think too intense, a bit too muscular. Way too muscular, yes. Uh, Spider-Man should be, like, you know, slender, not too powerful. Just right. This is what I think. <laughs> so any last thoughts on Godfather Part 3? Uh, if any of the listeners are, you know, they just hear terrible things about this movie and they're like, I don't want to give it a chance... You should. You should just give it a chance. I mean, it's it's flaws and all. It's a pretty damn good film uh, from a director who, since then, has pretty much not done anything all that great. I mean, <laughs> when I mean, what, what's a great movie? Jack? No, that's not a. We well, did. He did Bram movie. Stoker's Dracula after Godfather Three. But that was really close think, to this. Sure, that's really close to it. I think you're right. Like those two were probably the last great things he's done. The last done. two great. Coppola films, yeah. Yeah, like I have not seen the the latest movies he's come out with, uh, Youth Without Youth, Tetro, and Twixt, but the reviews have been awful. Uh, no, I have not seen those. And I have to be yeah. in the mood for um, a so-so Coppola film, I suppose. But maybe, exactly. they're, maybe they're great. I don't know. I just need to get in the mood to watch something like that. Yeah, I mean, I've heard really good things about Twixt, actually. Oh, and yeah, uh, I know that it's in str- that. And it's streaming on Netflix, so I might have to just give oh, it a right. give it a whirl one of these days, you know, before it leaves Netflix. Which I hate sure. when movies do that. <laughs> I wish on the Netflix uh, streaming it would make it more obvious how many days something had left. Oh yeah, like a countdown or a timer. Sure. Like you, if, it's, if it's a really popular movie, it would be like, well, this is leaving in whatever, and I don't have to search on Twitter for what people are talking about, so they let me know when something leaves. Yeah, if I could have two things on Netflix, it would be that. And I would love the ability on Netflix to make a custom playlist of movies or TV show episodes that then you could share with people. Oh, that would be delightful. Just like you can do with things on Spotify or practically anything else. Uh, That would be nice. (laughs) Godfather 3, I like it more um, 
revisiting it now that I'm a bit older. I need to. I'd like to. I think my next step is to look into the history of the the, the papal banking scandal and then give this another watch. And oh, definitely do. It's uh, you can pretty much learn everything you need to know on uh, Wikipedia, just like you know everyone else does. But sure. uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating the fact that they were able to spin that into a Godfather movie. It's uh, pretty awesome. So uh, let's talk about your website here for a minute, Matt. Uh, Level save. Alrighty. How long? Level save. You, how long have you been oh. working for him? Uh, I started with uh, Level Save last June. Okay. Uh, they randomly found me on Twitter. Huh. Because uh, I at the time was running a uh, uh, a blog uh, called Matt's Bunker, uh, which is still up. Uh, it's called uh, it's Matt's Bunker dot and I would do uh, you know little video game news and reviews. Over there, you know, like a best of list here and there, uh, and the one found uh, the one uh, editor, Chris, found me on Twitter and was like, "I like your writing. Uh, mm. Would you do you want to submit some samples to me?" And uh, a week later, I was a, a member, and then a couple months later, I was full fledged editor for LevelSave.com. We cover uh, video game news, uh, reviews. Uh, we run some contests here and there. Uh, the website's based out of Las Vegas, but we have writers all over the country and even some in Canada. So uh, it's basically just a bunch of people. Who, uh, I mean, I've become great friends with a lot of them. So it's basically just a bunch of friends getting together, writing about news, uh, writing about video games. And uh, sometimes we'll even cover like a convention here or there. Uh, last October, we covered New York Comic Con because Nintendo had a huge presence there that year. Mm. And then we just went to PAX East up in Boston at the right. beginning of April. And I was able to play a bunch of games that aren't out yet. Uh, I was able to interview uh, the creators, uh, some other uh, video game journalists. I got to speak with them. Uh, also, at Comic-Con last year, I was able to interview uh, West Anthony from uh, the Autorcast. Oh, right. And uh, Yeah, and since then, me and him have become uh, pretty pretty good friends. Uh, we talk on uh, Twitter and, and such every uh, on a regular basis. Uh, he's a smart dude. He knows his stuff. <laughs> He's a uh, he's a wise wise man, <laughs> with quite the way with words. Um, but yeah, he he was a blast to interview. We talked about video game movies. Mm, yeah. Uh, turns out he likes the Silent Hill movie, which made me happy because that's one of my favorite video game movies. No, that Other one's. Than that, yes. Oh no, I was gonna say I was gonna agree with you. Yeah, I, I think that one's very uh, evocative of the game. Oh, it's one of the best representations of the video game storyline that they've ever done in film. It's pretty interesting. It's not, uh, it's not as good as, well, I know everyone says it, but the, have you seen uh, the winter soldier? I have not yet. No. Okay. Well, it's the best metal gear solid movie. Okay. That we're ever likely to get. Huh? It's basically, uh, captain America versus the Patriots. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you played Metal Gear. The Metal I, Gear I did, games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it, it's basically yeah. him against the Patriots. Okay. Or Lali Lule Lo, as they like to be called. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I'm a huge video game nerd, so it's kind of what I do. Did uh, you know so they yeah. came out with the novelization of Metal Gear Solid Two? Uh, yes, because I pass it every time I'm at Barnes and Noble. They've had the same <laughs> copy for like ten years, <laughs> and I'm way more interested in reading a novel of the first Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> Right, which they also did. I think it's the same guy that wrote uh, both of those. Yeah, speaking. Yeah, of... but they never have that at my Barnes and Noble. So. Ah. 
Well, speaking of uh, video game movies, um, at Wizard World Portland Comic Con this past mm-hmm. uh, January, I did a, a live uh, podcast talking about the Resident Evil films. And Oh, those. Yeah. <laughs> and we tried to tie in talks about the, the games, which is a lot to cover in under an hour. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was really surprised. We had three people show up uh, unprompted in umbrella outfits. Oh, that's fantastic. They were dressed up in corporate things. They even did a bit on stage where they had a, a big umbrella logo in a briefcase, a steel briefcase, and they left it on stage for a minute as if like, <laughs> the bomb was going to go off. And then they ran and got it. Oh, that's fantastic. And uh, that, that was real fun to see because we, you know, it wasn't a packed house. We had like two dozen hmm. people in the audience, which is better than nothing. But it yeah. was nice to see people show up dressed in character and they were very enthusiastic yeah. to uh, be sure to correct me when I was incorrect about talking oh. about one of the five zillion Resident Evil games. Oh, of course. And movies. Yeah, there's there's what, like 20 games now? Oh, at least. Yeah, if you got the spin-offs, maybe like 30. I don't know. It's, yeah. It's, it's been so many. Yeah. I mean, I love the first couple, but the recent ones, not so good. <laughs> no, but yet they uh, they keep on going. And that that is the one video game movie franchise that has had a zillion sequels. Oh, yes. For whatever, yes. whether it's because they make them so cheaply or... I know. Where's my Super Mario Brothers sequel? Where's that? I want that. Well, you know, it's funny you uh, you say that. Oh? Uh, we've had people on the... Let me look at this. Yeah, there it is. There's a website called the Super Mario Brothers uh, Movie Archive. Yes, I've heard about this. And the people on them have a, a comic that's a sequel to the film. Okay. And they've been kind of doing page by page. If you go to their website, smbthecomic.com, you can read it. It's a work in in progress. But they got the... uh, The guys on that website got the storyline idea from one of the... They actually met up with one of the screenwriters of the film. Okay. And talked about what would they sort of do for a sequel. That's kind of cool. Yeah, so if you want to see what could have been, you can (laughs) look at that. Uh, oh, that's awesome! Yeah, Mario Brothers. That's such a that's a weird movie. Strange movie, but it's it's weird. It's so weird, but I uh, I do enjoy it. <laughs> On some sick, dark level, I enjoy that movie. Maybe because it's so not for children, and it was made for children. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, I think I was in sixth grade at the time. I saw that mm-hmm. with my dad in the movie theater. Oof! And I always expect. You know, I was expecting like a, a cartoon, or I didn't really know much about the movie. And you see, it's like Blade Runner, but it has strippers yeah. in it, and it has yeah. almost like, except for the names, it's very far removed from the from the game. From the video games, I know. And apparently, when they were filming it, there was like nudity and stuff in the stripper scenes and mm-hmm. at the club. Like, it's it's so strange. I think that's what makes that one a bit more memorable, even if it's not one of the best. It's not, definitely not one of the best, movies. but it's it's something you'll remember for forever once you watch it my goodness <laughs> so i think uh, we've had a pretty good discussion of godfather 3 here uh, thanks for coming oh, on. most that. definitely and I, I to close out with some video game news since you're uh, an editor on a, a video game uh, news website oh yes are you surprised by microsoft's uh announcement to oh the connectless yeah to have xbox a connectless one. skew for xbox one this early in the game 
I'm not surprised at all. Um, I think Microsoft was way too overconfident when mm. they first announced their uh, their new console, just like the Sony was way overconfident when they announced the PlayStation 3, that whole uh, 599 US dollars. Right. Uh, big announcement. They were way overconfident. They were like, you know what? You're going to... You're going to buy this. We don't care what you say. The PlayStation 2 is so successful. You're going to buy this anyway. That's what pretty much Microsoft was doing, and it has shown with sales. Uh, they're not in the lead, and they're not used to that either because for years the 360 was trouncing the PlayStation. And, uh, I mean, if you look at the sales charts, uh, PlayStation 4 is the number one selling console, but more software is sold on the Xbox One. And I think in the next couple months with that new SKU, uh, you might actually see the tables turn because now it's just down to exclusives. Uh, there's no price difference between the PS4 and the Xbox One. Uh, it just comes to down to what these companies can do with exclusive titles. Right, and I think um, the whole thing about the PS4 being more powerful from a technical perspective, like 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 I care about that, but the average person doesn't really give a shit yeah, I mean, what the resolution of the game is at. I mean, yeah, and every day I go on these sites and I see uh, this one on PS4, it runs in 1080p, and on Xbox, it only runs yes. in 720p. I mean, right. and uh, honestly, I mean, sure, pretty graphics are great. Uh, if a game doesn't run well, then it's not a good game. Sure. I mean, some of my favorite games recently, uh, like, have you played a game called Hotline Miami? Yes, I did. Yeah, not. Uh, the best looking game. It doesn't have no. 3D graphics or anything, but that game is intensely fun because of the mechanics. The mechanics are like the most important part of a video game. I mean, graphics aside, I'd rather have a game that runs well than 60 frames per second, 1080p. I mean, a game can run, you know, 720p, 30 frames a second. It'd be fine. Like, when it comes to video games, my whole philosophy is if it's not fun, I'm not interested. And if you have a fun factor down for a game, then I'm more than like more than likely to give it a chance. And I'm going to like it. It doesn't matter how pretty it is. Right. I gee, what did I play recently? Papers, please is one that really impressed me for the. Uh, oh, that's PC. a that's I've been meaning to actually get my hands on that. <laughs> it's good. Like it's it's really difficult to describe, but I think once you you play it, you'll you'll get it. Mm -hmm. it's yeah. A very, uh, my editor, one of my editors, uh, Chris, he, he, he loves Papers, Please. <laughs> He's like, it kind of made me depressed, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tried to describe it to people I work with, and they were like, why would you want to play that game? It sounds so yeah. <laughs> boring. But like, as a kid, for fun, I mean, I, I played Mario Kart and all the rest, but I really mm -hmm. liked uh, some of the more tactical games. Like, uh, with Koei had a Super Nintendo game called AeroBiz Supersonic. Oh, nice. That was an airline business management sim. Oh, fuck. Where you're setting money for ad campaigns and saying, <laughs> I'm going to have three routes in my airplane and hopefully not go bankrupt in the first uh, oh, month. So, oh, jeez. Uh, if you're looking for a fun game to play on Steam, I would recommend Broforce. I've heard that's pretty good. I just need to get uh, a controller. It's not It's not done yet. It's in Steam Early Access, but they're adding new uh, bros every week. <laughs> and uh, it's... Some of the most fun I've had in a long time. <laughs> it's just it's it's ridiculous. It's basically the Expendables except entertaining. I guess I would I would say. No, is the gameplay like Contra? It's basically like Contra. Uh, Contra mixed with uh, like I guess 
Terraria where you can just dig through things. Okay. But you dig through with your guns. Yeah. Uh, and they have different uh, characters, different bros. Uh, there's uh, John McClane is in it. He's Brohard. <laughs> uh, uh, Blade is in it. He's like Broad. Uh, they even have Ellen Ripley, and she's Ellen Bropley. She has a, <laughs> uh, a pulse rifle and a flamethrower. It's completely ridiculous, but I love it so much. <laughs> I will. Have it's from. To it's actually being. Uh, it's being. It's actually being published by the same guys who published. Um, uh, Hotline Miami, so it's that kind of like uber violence. I see, right? Oh yeah. No, Hotline Miami. I mean, that's almost like a puzzle game in itself. It's very. Oh, uh, I know. It's that quickly became one of my favorite games of all time. Sure, and the music is fantastic as well. I know. I actually, I got to play the new one at uh, PAX a oh, weeks ago. Is it uh, uh, yeah. the same kind of thing as the first one? Same kind of thing, except there's like superpowers now, almost like different. Oh, okay. Not not superpowers, but abilities. Hmm. Uh, like you choose the mask, and you play as a different character. Actually, oh, okay. uh, there's a bear that can dual wield machine guns. <laughs> um, I played as a uh, AJ and Ash. I believe their name was. They wear go- uh, geese masks, and you control both of them at the same time. One has a gun, and the other has a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, it sounds. I have to definitely. Uh... When is it coming out? Uh, they said hopefully the fall. And uh, I hear that the soundtrack is even better than the first one, so that makes me excited. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks, Matt, that again. That soundtrack's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Matt, again for coming on the sequel cast to talk uh, Godfather 3. Oh, yeah. No problem. Anytime. This, uh, this is a lot of fun. And uh, where can listeners follow you on Twitter? All right. Uh, listeners can find me on Twitter at TheRealMattC. Uh, don't accept any substitutes. And I am not the rapper on YouTube, the real Matt C. Apparently, there's a rapper on YouTube with my name, so mm-hmm. that's fun. Uh, also, if you want to play some games sometime uh, on Xbox, I am the real Matt C. So you can just find me there too. And you can find all everything I'm writing on LevelSave.com, and anything I write about movies uh, is still up on uh, MattsBunker.blogspot.com. Have uh, some cool content coming up there soon for everyone. Very good. All right. Well, uh, thanks for doing the show, dude. Adios. Adios. Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a podcast that looks at movies in a franchise one film at a time. This time around, we're finishing up our look at the Godfather trilogy with the Godfather Part 3, released in 1990, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. The theme song you just heard was written and produced with, by Mark with a C. Check out his music at markwithac.com. And the sequel cast is a proud member of the Battleship Retention podcast fleet. Check out other great film and TV podcasts at battleshipretention.com. So, uh, I'm Matt. With me is Thrasher. Just when I think I get out, you pull me back in. You're not getting away that easy. Yeah. uh, Godfather 3, you know, people claim this is one of the worst sequels of all time. And I was thinking about this at, at work at lunch and... I really don't think it's the case. I would say Godfather 3 is better than uh, other Part 3s, like Ninja Turtles Part 3, uh, Karate Kid Part 3. All Part 3s, which we have covered on the sequel cast. That's true. And while we're talking about it, Beverly Hills Cop Part 3. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Practically anything's better than Beverly Hills Cop 3, although that film has a few moments. But yeah. anyway, let's, you can hear that back on some of our old episodes at SequelCast.com. Uh, when did you first see Godfather 3? 
it it was it was ages ago on cable. Actually, no, I think I know when it was. It was like when I was in high school. It came on cable, and it was just something I had playing in the background while I was playing Command and Conquer uh, with oh. my friends over the internet. So you would play over the internet. You wouldn't play locally with a a LAN with a wire between your machines. Well, well, no, because we lived in different buildings. Oh, well, that that would do it. We, you know, we'd use an old, fa- old fashioned dial-up modem, handcrafted in my pappy's woodshed. You know, I can't imagine how long Godfather or any of these Godfather movies would be on TV because they're like each about three hours a piece. Well, actually, uh, number two is three hours and twenty minutes. This one is one hundred seventy minutes, but it's still practically well- three hours. Well, I I recall there uh, uh, once the and I don't know if this was on cable or network television, but Godfather Two was shown as a two night event. They split right. it out between yeah. the two nights, Friday and Saturday, I think. No, I, I think that makes sense. It it wouldn't surprise me if they did something similar for Godfather Part Three, or I mean, you think of you, you know they add maybe what like. 15 minutes of commercials for every hour you're watching, sometimes like 20 uh-huh. minutes of commercials. And if something's three hours long, I mean, this you could it could take five hours on TV, potentially, to show uh, Godfather 3. I, I'm, my math is probably way off on that. Um, but, but going back to what you said, this yes. movie really does have a terrible, terrible reputation, and I think that is for the most part unfounded. It's not as good as Godfather 1, it's not as good as Godfather 2, but its only real crime is not being as good as Godfather 1 or Godfather 2. Right. It's the same thing that, like, uh, Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, uh, suffered from, in that you have a big gap between the, the last movie and the new one, and everyone has such fond memories going into it, not to mention the, the films are, are, are critically... And commercially successful, you 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 watch it. And I think that, you know between Godfather one and Godfather two, there is a a bit of a gap. But I mean between three and two, it was a um, what like fifteen years, I think, something like that. Yeah, I mean, it was quite a while. And the thing that the other thing is, you know, you know, Godfather, you know, Godfather was great. Godfather two is regarded as one of the greatest films of all time. And to make a sequel to Godfather two, it would almost be like, oh, let's make a sequel to Apocalypse now. Yeah, I'm looking this it's up just, right now. It's, it's, uh, it's it was, such a complete package, right? It was only two years between Godfather and Godfather Part two. Between Godfather Part two and Godfather Part three, it was sixteen years. So right. So I mean, you you see that the people are aging, which people do, but it, it makes it seem a bit long in the tooth, perhaps. Uh, also, I, oh, I guess before I want to get into some history about the film, um, the first time I've seen this film all the way through, I was watching it for this podcast. Despite the fact that I've owned, over the years, two different Godfather trilogy box sets, I've never been able to make it through Godfather Part 3 until this past week. And, you know, if you think Godfather 2 had a lot going on, 3 has a lot more... It's, I think, by far the most complicated plot. It's practically a conspiracy thriller uh, in yes. the 1970s tradition. Right, right. And, I mean, the film supposed to take place in, uh, I think, 79 is what it says in the beginning. So, But, right, I mean, the making of this film is fairly interesting. Francis Ford Coppola 
who directed the other films, he directed this one, did not want to do it. He, he had to do it for the money because he came out with a bunch of movies that um, flopped, like Tucker, The Man in His Dream, The Cotton Club, uh, The Outsiders, One from the Heart. He had a, a strain of, of films that were not financially successful. In the meantime, Paramount tried to, uh, you know, write their own, have different writers write their own scripts for Godfather 3, including having Mario Puzo write something and that they didn't end up using. And um, it was basically they, Francis Ford Coppola needed the money, and he was kind of interested in, in doing it, and he said he'd, he'd do it with Mario Puzo again, who wrote the novel and, and helped in all the scripts for these films. And uh, but Paramount said, well, this movie has to come out by Christmas, and they, they had a really hard luck date. As a result, he only had six weeks to write the script with Mario Puzo. <laughs> I'm just imagining <laughs> we, we want a movie about gangsters and, and Catholic priests murdering each other. That's got to be a Christmas release. Well, you know, Francis Ford Coppola and Mario Puzo crafted, decided on, on the story they wanted to do. That wasn't a, a studio suggestion as far as I know. And yet, uh, you know, one person they offered Godfather 3 to when they were trying to get it developed as the writer, director, and star was Sylvester Stallone, which is is strange. I think in, uh, in, in an well, interview... Well, they saw or, how well he did in Oscar and figured, yeah, yeah. hey, he knows mob movies. Right, right. Well, I mean, the the story is, I think it's... He either said it in an interview or I think in the, in the book he did Sly Moves, but he says he walked into Paramount... They said, we got something for you. And they show him a mock-up poster that says The Godfather 3, written, starring, and directed by Sylvester Stallone. And Stallone immediately said, absolutely not. This is ridiculous. I'm not doing this. Hey, what do you want? Godfather such a great picture. You know, why do you want to make, make a sequel to that? It's like, you got, you got to know where to go. The story, the story's completely told. You know, I never did a tacked on Rocky sequel. Okay, Rocky Four, but that was different. That was a celebration. That was my victory lap. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, so I mean that that would have been very weird. I'd part of me would have liked to see what that would have been like. I mean, would it have turned into more like a, a Scarface with more action going on? I don't really know. But yeah, this is you describe it as a conspiracy thing, and I think you're right. I mean, there also the the big thing people say about this movie, despite the fact that they they say, oh, it's not as good as the other two, which I happen to agree with that sentiment, uh, is that Sofia Coppola, the daughter of Francis Ford Coppola has a, a major supporting role in the film as Mary Corleone, the daughter of Michael. Yeah, there's a, there's a wee bit of nepotism there. Well, do you know the story behind it? Actually, no, I don't. Do enlighten me. There are several actresses they were considering for the part, um, one of which Versus was... So and it was originally, originally written like uh, for an older actress. It's like Madonna at one point was considered. Uh, Julia Roberts was considered. Uh, the person they had cast and was all ready to go was Winona Ryder, and then at the last second, on the, like the first day of shooting, Winona Ryder basically pulled a trump card and said, "Gee, I feel really stressed out from being in so many movies. My psychologist said I can't do another movie right now." And they had that hard lock date. You know, they wanted the film to come out around Christmas, and um, gee, who, who are they going to stuff in, in the film? Why Francis Ford Coppola said, "Well, my daughter can do this." And even she didn't really want to do it either. He kind of made her, and they sort of didn't have much of a choice. Which is not the best circumstance 
to uh and Sofia Coppola had acted in some stuff but now you know she's better known as a director of such uh, great films as Lost in Translation. Actually I haven't seen her other films so I don't know if the other ones are great but I really liked uh, Lost in Translation with Bill Murray. She's she's built quite a reputation for herself. It's sure, it, yeah. it's it's funny cuz like in in any other movie I feel like that our star backed out we had less than a day to cast it we went for the the first per- like it's the setup is for one of those happy accidents that leads to a great film but in this case it it it's a bit of a hindrance. It I, her, she has such a, a sort of valley girl accent. And I think is so flat, and it doesn't help that she's surrounded by uh, legendary actors who are well versed in their roles. Whether you know it's Al Pacino coming back as Michael, you get Diane Keaton back as Kay. Uh, of course, you get uh, Talia Shire as, as Connie, and you get uh, you get some new characters here too. So, I mean, where to start with this film? We've talked a little bit about the the history and the making of it, but there's so much going on here this is a uh quite the uh, quite the hefty movie as far as characters and plot you had lots of plates spinning in this film lots of plates piled high with spaghetti and communion wafers uh i i thought it was a bit unexpected that michael's son anthony has a big speech how he doesn't want to be a lawyer and he wants to uh be an opera singer well, I think that's a nice. I think I think that's a, a nice angle, and it's almost a full circle thing because we had, like in the, in the first Godfather film, we had that lounge singer type guy, right? And you know, and, and you know, I, I like I like that there's a Corleone that wants to devote devote their life to to art and entertainment, and really, that is that is kind of that is kind of in, in, inevitable. And I'm, I'm I'm speaking I'm speaking for myself, who I'm, I'm from a large family made up of large families. And in any of those family groupings, there's always one person who who wants to stop doing this, stop doing what would be the normal traditional path to success, and wants to get into entertainment uh, or the arts, uh, which incidentally is what I'm struggling with right now. Hmm. I, you know, and I like that in that part they they cast an actual. Uh, Opera singer Frank. Well, that's a uh, good choice right. because nothing w- looks worse on film than someone lip syncing to someone else. And he's known for playing Phantom of the Opera on stage in New York um, for for quite some time. Oh gosh, wouldn't it be great? There's a Godfather movie and a Phantom starts plaguing the Corleones, and it turns out it's James Caan from the first film. He didn't actually die in that toll booth shooting; he just got horribly deformed. He's yeah. been living underneath the Corleone compound ever since. Well, I mean, speaking of um, that that character, Sonny, he has a a bastard child in this who's a major character, uh, Vincent, played by Andy Garcia. Oh, uh, yes. Do you think he was affected? He's all right. I'm, I'm probably going to say, say this a lot. Everyone in this movie is all right. They are very, very all right. I think he he gets angry in the beginning, and I think it's a bit much that he he bites the one guy's ear. Yeah, that's some brutality in, in an argument. But it's it's kind of doing a parallel of what Sonny is like. And towards the end, when he's sort of more buttoned up and kind of acting like uh, Al Pacino did as as Michael towards the end of the first Godfather, I think he's actually pretty. He gets better as the movie goes on. Um, 
the whole cousin romance thing is weird, huh? Between uh, Vincent and um, Mary. Oh, yeah. I'm not quite sure that... No, go ahead. Well, well, I guess it's it's always difficult to pull to pull something like that off on on screen, just because you know, like if if you're reading if you're reading a novel and there's and there's some level of incest in that novel, uh, even even if it is you know a more distant incest, like like with cousins, when you're reading it, of course, you can tailor what what you're imagining from the page to sort of suit your tastes. But unfortunately, when it's all on the screen, you're only going to show what the director shows you, and that can get kind of uncomfortable depending on on how intense it gets. And in this movie, it's it's not depicted as um, you know, it's not sexually explicit. I think it's done tastefully. They don't spend a lot of scenes with their um, romance, really. So at the end, when you have all these, you have a few scenes of uh, Mary Corleone, of course, played by Sofia Coppola, saying like, "But Daddy, I love him. I love him," and as part of the condition of uh, them promoting Vincent to, you know, being in the ranks of the Corleones, he, he cannot date Michael's daughter anymore. Mm. Well, it's it's almost it's it's almost like they they want to set up a a sort of weird internal Romeo and Juliet thing because of that deal, but it it doesn't it doesn't blossom into the right kind of tragedy. Right? If they have, they should have had more more romance scenes. I think um, one noticeable absence is Robert Duvall as Hagen. And he was the, in the other two films. He was written to be in this film, and then they got into a dispute over money. That seems to happen in every one of these films. Right, yeah. Um, they offered Duvall far too little money, and they weren't willing to, to budge, and, and he passed. So they write, they have a line of dialogue in the script that he died, but you have the the, the son of Tom Hagen has a, is a very small part in the film, and I think he becomes a priest or something. He's, he's not a major part at any rate. And in the part of the consigliere, instead, is played by uh, George Hamilton, plays the character B.J. Harrison. And George Hamilton is is okay, but he's no Robert Duvall as far as acting goes. And, and maybe it's just me, but I always, whenever I think of Hamilton, I always think of sort of slightly cheesy things from the 1970s. Right. Didn't he star in, was it Zorro the Gay Blade? Ah, uh, yes. And some other things. But right, I mean, he, he looks more like a... Uh, like a Hollywood type than like a, I don't know, than like a gangster lawyer guy. Like it, it's just, he can he can look slick, but he just seems, he preens around too much. I don't know. I, I just don't think that was especially great casting, but I understand you had to go with someone and you couldn't get Robert Duvall. Um, I think Al Pacino is, is okay in this. He has some good moments. But by this point in his career, his acting has gotten a bit histrionic at times. Yeah. Well, actually, where was this compared to Scent of a Woman? When was that? Let me look. Because I, I think like yeah. Scent of a Woman is kind of like the, oh, 1992. There we go. Cause I, 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 so, so that was after this one. 
Yes, Scent of a Woman is kind of when he reached that point of no return with his mm. with his bombast and Hoo-ha. having to go yeah. having to go crazy in the movies. Right, and I think you know some parts I think are pretty subtle. There's a good scene uh, later in the film when he has a confession with a priest, and he says, "I killed my father's son. I killed my mother's son," and then he sort of breaks down uh, confessing. Well, you know what's funny? I think that that works in part because I think he's very consciously trying to hold in his bombast. Sure. And as a result, it makes it look like he's really trying to hold in the the sheer force of his own emotions. And there's a wise choice they make at the the end of the film where there's an assassination attempt made on Michael. Michael gets shot, but another person that gets shot and also gets killed is uh, his daughter Mary, played by Sofia Coppola. And you get these close-ups of Al Pacino opening his mouth as wide as possible and screaming, but you just hear music over it for the most part. You don't hear the screams until the very end of the scene. Well, he doesn't. Well, I, I, he only really screams at the end of the scene. Like, have you? Have you? He he's at that point where he is so full of rage and regret that he can't right. actually muster the sound. It, it's. It's kind of the emotional equivalent of the dry heaves. This thing needs to get out of you, but it's so intense, you're just paralyzed. Although, uh, watching that scene, a thought occurred to me. I would love to go back and make, make this. Take take that scene, because, you know, we see, we see him seizing up like he's going to scream, and we see the sort of reaction shots from other characters. I would love to just loop him not being able to scream and just keep cutting in reaction shots from different movies. Hmm. And just make it go on longer and longer and longer. That could be uh, that could be pretty good. Um, so we got some feedback from our listeners about Godfather Three. Uh, one of which was from the Facebook page. Uh, listener Keith says Connie develops a cold, hard, iron spine in this film, but I enjoy the whole trilogy. By Connie, he's referring to the character played by Talia Shire. Mm. And uh, I think she's pretty good in this film. You know, she's she's grown sort of more more tough, uh, kind of like she became at the end of Godfather Two. I can see that. I mean, she she's had she's had her arc, and, and she she's got some steel. And she has a nice moment, uh, kind of in, in the middle of the film, where Michael has a diabetic stroke and is kind of out of commission. And meanwhile, Vincent wants to uh, do a hit on. Um, Joey Zaza, played by Joe Mantegna. And she, she agrees to that and says, do it. That, that's what we need to do. And you kind of see, wow, you know, gee, if she if she was the godmother, so to speak, that, that'd be something pretty intense. But she really, I think she really brings it. And yeah, her character has had a big arc uh, in these films. And it's nice that they really give her something to do other than just pop up at the uh, celebration in the beginning and say, hi, remember me? Uh, oh, some, something I wanted to say. Uh, yes. I think, I, I, I think in part because of this of, of the movie's reputation, a lot a lot of people haven't seen it, and it occurred to me. I think most people probably know of The Godfather Two from the running gag on The Sopranos, where the guy keeps quoting the "When I think I'm out, they pull me back in" line, and. You know, having now rewatched that actual scene, have you noticed that Pacino is dressed like Mister Rogers? 
He's dressed very. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very strange look. Very. Bumpy it's just it's looking. so casual and unthreatening. Yeah. Um, another one of our listeners, Josh Proputnik on uh, Twitter, said he didn't like the first Godfather movie, and he liked it about as much as Godfather Three. Mm. And he said the the movies made him feel the same way, which I think is is interesting. I mean, it it is true that it is a a linear story. You're not flashing back and forth between different time periods like uh, Godfather 2 did. So, uh that's notable. And uh last but of course not least uh, the, a friend of mine who's been teaching English in Japan, uh John, uh from our Facebook page, said he's never seen Godfather 3 and he asked the, the a question I think that you were are getting at Thrasher. Is it as bad as everyone says it is, or is it just that the first two are considered masterpieces and it pales in comparison? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that it's 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 not a mas- It's only crimes. It's not it's not a masterpiece. It's it suffers primarily from the comparison. I think the uh, storyline of the the Vatican getting involved with the the mafia and all this um, double crossing sort of stuff for me is very difficult to follow and I think they could have simplified that a bit or made that part more compelling. Uh, what's the scene from the film that you like? Actually, I'm I am going to have to go with uh with the confession scene. Mm. I just I I I like that I I I like that bit with him coming clean. I like him barely being able to restrain his emotions. I I like him being being able to to realize just how outright evil he has been. Right. There's a vulnerability in the character that that he's discovering there. Uh, there's a scene that is effective for me where a lot of uh, the mafia bosses are are huddled around at a uh, at a meeting, and and Michael is giving off uh, you know a percentage of money he got from selling off his. Uh, Las Vegas uh, finances, Las Vegas dealings, and all of a sudden, a uh, helicopter goes outside the window and starts blasting in, and just <laughs> massacres a whole bunch of people. But Michael gets out unscathed. But I think the the sound design it's really imposing. It's really loud and uh, in your face, and it's it's a different way to do a sort of ambush scene, ambush by helicopter. Well, it's not. It's it's not the kind of ambush you can. Well, I mean, you, you, I mean, the point of an ambush is you can't prepare for it. But how many people's? How many people have adequate helicopter defense? Yeah, and it's nice. Also, as the helicopter is going, you see an insert shot of uh, someone puts some um, handcuffs or something on the or like ties the doorknobs together so you can't open them easily. So you know something's coming. And um, the way the helicopter flies in through the windows and then winks at everyone is really quite cute. (laughs) I think you're describing a different movie. Oh, that's... uh, I think you're describing Planes. That's Pixar's Mafia. Yeah, Planes 2, Planes 3, The God Plane. I don't know. (laughs) No, The God Flyer. 
The God Flyer. That's better. Yeah. Looks like you're about to rack up some frequent dire miles. Oh, boy. You see, now I can't stop imagining like little mafia staff cars that are alive. <laughs> you could probably pull that off, I guess. A Brandomobile. <laughs> yep. Right, well, let's take a moment here to talk about our website at SequelCast.com. If you go to SequelCast.com, you can check out uh, our, our past episodes where we've covered franchises such as Highlander, Star Trek, Planet of the Apes, and many more. Check those out at SequelCast.com. You can also check out our other shows like uh, Sequel Commentary, which is humorous commentary on films or TV shows, and uh, Video Game SequelCast, a look at video games, franchises. Um, if you'd like to help out the show, you can donate via PayPal. We have a link over there on the left at SequelCast.com. That's much appreciated. And we also got links if you want to rent the films we're talking about as an Amazon instant rental. You can uh, do that. It's usually between $1.99 and two ninety nine to rent it in the standard definition. I've had to do that a few times in a pinch where I don't happen to own a movie uh, that we're talking about. So... Also, our Facebook page is probably the best way to, to talk to us. Uh, check it out at facebook.com slash sequelcast. And on Twitter, I'm at sequelcast. I am at Internet Mayor. Very good. And back to the Godfather, Godfather. 3 discussion. Um, so looking at the year this came out, 1990, where do you think Godfather Part 3 landed in domestic box office gross? I bet it's going to be number two, because I bet the first week it was huge, then it got its reputation, then viewership fell off. Well, you know, it only came out on, um, yeah, I don't know how they're counting this. Yeah, but anyway, it came out very late in the year. Uh, It was number 17. Wow. So below it was the uh, Joel Schumacher film Flatliners. Hmm. That had Kiefer Sutherland, Julia Roberts, and Kevin Bacon. It was a drama, I believe. I've never seen it. Uh, and then above it at number 16 was Bird on a Wire, a action comedy starring Mel Gibson and Goldie Hawn that nobody remembers. Yeah, I was trying to I was trying to piece that. I was imagining I like when I heard Bird on a Wire, I was expecting some sort of almost Tennessee Williams type thing about a town with an old telegraph line. Right. Oh, wow. That's some poster for Bird on a Wire. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> With uh, Goldie Hawn looking mildly... She looked looking mildly surprised. And uh, Mel Gibson looking furious at whoever's taking the photo. As if to say, this isn't the one you're going to use, is it? Even though I'm sure this wasn't a photo, I'm sure it was a painting. I don't know. It looks like a photo to to me, but I, I could be wrong. Um, I'm but this couple... isn't the wire cast. No, we're a sequel cast talking about Godfather Three. Uh, I guess another scene I, I, I like in the film, although it's it's kind of weird the way it, it plays out, is Michael is going to hear his son um, sing some opera um, while they're in Italy, as they are for. Uh, a large portion of the film and uh, someone else is, is playing 
on uh, guitar as he as he sings, and the melody is the Godfather theme, but it has lyrics in Italian, and they don't translate the lyrics. And Michael hears the music and he he cries. That's you know we'd actually as he flashes had, had... back to clips from the other films. You know, we'd actually talked about that, the sort of somewhat meta use of music in the second film. I, yes. I, I kind of like that it comes back here. It's very interesting. It doesn't have subtitles for the lyrics, but I think it works because you see the flashbacks and he's reminded of that whole portion from the first Godfather film where he you know, had to hide away in Italy for a while and got married and his wife died in a car bomb. Although it is weird, like, after that, you, you see him talking to his family and he says, yeah, one of my, my, my trusted bodyguard put a bomb in the car that killed her. And it's like, we just saw that in a flashback. I don't know if we need a scene of you describing what we well- just saw. Well, we also presumably saw those movies, so you know it, it was sort of like in the middle of in, in the middle of, uh, of of Return of the Jedi. Hey, Luke, do you remember when you blew up the first Death Star? Right. Yes. Of course. So it's doubly unnecessary. Uh, I think the you know, although I don't think the character of uh, Mary, the the daughter played by Sofia Coppola, is that good. I think the twist that she dies and Michael doesn't. Yeah, that's unexpected. Yeah, I think it's unexpected. I think it is effective. And after the the screaming uh, with the music, you get a nice montage of him dancing with his daughter, him dancing with the uh, the wife he had briefly in Italy, and him dancing with Kay. All of which have orange wedges in their mouths. Oh. Okay, so what do you think of the last scene of the film? The, the where where Mary dies, or the or the no the very the, last the, scene. Oh, oh 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 when he dies when he dies yeah. I know it's not intended to be this way, but it, it's kind of accidentally comical. Is it the makeup? No, not so much the makeup. I can I can forgive, you know, I can forgive not that good makeup. It's just that there he is, he's dead, and fall over. At least like it's it's all by know. having by having him fall the way he does, it kind of it removes any dignity from his death. Like he, he should probably just slump or or you know show his la- show his last breath when he's in bed or or, or some such. I think the point they're they're trying to make there is that he dies uh, alone, right? Well, he's, he's he's fucked over his family, his friends, everything. He's made a lot of very terrible decisions, and that's the ultimate consequence: is that he dies well, I mean, that, alone on a bench. Well, I mean the, the whole the whole tra- the whole tragedy of him dying alone like that that works. I just feel it's it's undercut. Uh, because of the way he just sort of slumps over like that. I mean, it, it, it is like, it's like a cartoon character smelled something very, very bad and then mm-hmm. fell over dead. At least a dog doesn't piss on his body. Well, I, I don't think that's Ford Coppola's style. No. 
Um, any last uh, thing you want to talk about with Godfather Three? Well, what do you think about all the uh, all the the stuff involving the Vatican Bank and and the stuff related to some actual thing, some actual uh, conspiracy theories involving Pope John Paul the First? I don't think it's that compelling, even though it is a big part of the the plot of the film. I think you have enough going on just with the relationship of Michael and his family, and you have Vincent coming in and and trying to want to be part of the family, even though he's a bastard son. And yet, I think, um, I, I just, I have to give that part another watch and take notes and really, really pay attention. Mm. Do you think it, it's effective or? Well, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to digest. Yes. Like, like I, I feel, I feel like I would, I would actually get more out of it if I just researched the actual scandals involving the Vatican Bank and and Pope John Paul the First, rather than seeing it sort of tied tied into this movie. Um, it, it, I guess, and I guess I, I, part of it may, it may just have to be like with the way like the, the Catholic Church is so often portrayed in film. There is so much stuff in this movie going on in the Vatican that I was waiting for Corleone to be taken into the secret room where they train their vampire slayers. Uh, one thing I, I do think is effective is sort of the set piece near the end of the film where Michael is seeing his son uh, perform in the opera with his whole family and the audience with him. And as this is happening, there is an assassination attempt in the theater on Michael. And at the same time, um, the, uh, the Corleones are taking out the competition. And of course the infamous poison cannoli. Yes. I don't think it was the cannoli that was poisoned. Well, because she ate it, didn't she? Remember, he gives the one guy gives it to uh, to Connie to eat it, and she eats a tiny bit, and then he eats the whole tray. So I think it might have been <laughs> something else besides the cannoli. But yes, you do get a death by dessert. Well, I think we've had a, a good discussion here about Godfather Part Three. So, what would you rate it? Out of five stars, I I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give it three. I mean, it has it has a, a a huge standard it has to live up to, and it doesn't live up to that. But I don't think that's any reason to vilify the film. Uh, it's not the best story, uh, but it it's still it's still well told overall. I think I would give it a two and a half. Out of five, I some parts of the story work very well. I like um, some of the ending. I like the the confessional scene, as we've discussed uh, quite a bit. And yet, I think the overall story could have been more compelling. They they missed the boat uh, on that, but I mean, it does make some nice callbacks to the first film it's great you have johnny fontaine is back in a, a brief part in the celebration in the beginning mm. and he sings which is nice um but yeah two and a half out of five this uh 
Godfather Part 3, is it my favorite? Is it a disaster? No. But it's um, standing in the shadow of those first two films. That's not quite something that can escape. So before we do our pitch a sequel on this, do you want to know what was originally planned for Godfather Part 4? You know, I am very, very curious because I'm sure there were people who wanted to get one going because these films have been so financially successful. Well, Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola were were interested, especially Mario Puzo, and Coppola said, well, he'd help write it, maybe not direct it necessarily. And they got partway into writing the script, and then Mario Puzo died. And they turned part of that script into a, a novel that came out a few years ago called The Corleone Family. So the idea for Godfather 4 is it would have paralleled Godfather 2 and that you would have had two stories. The um, the more modern-day story would have been about uh, Vincent, uh, you know, played by Andy Garcia, getting mixed up in the drug trade. Um, although at one point it would have flashed back to a scene between Vincent talking to old Michael before Michael dies. Uh, and the, the story in the past would be about the the Corleone family uh, getting to their you know highest level of of success. You would have had a uh, Vito Corleone becoming more popular. Sonny Corleone would have started doing uh, mafia stuff, wanting to start doing work in the family business, as they say. And Michael Corleone would have been a bit younger, and, and Tom Hagen would have been more of a major character. Also, uh, Luca Brazzi, who you might remember is the big brute in the first film that gets garroted, is a big part in that plot. I'm only, um, I'm almost a fifth of the way through that, that book, but I, I think the book is, is pretty interesting um, with those characters in that time period, because period. some of them are older. Some of them, like Michael, I think is maybe 12 years old or something. He's He's not quite as old. And I think had they made that, that I think the idea is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio at the time would have played Sonny. Huh. Which could have been good. And um, so, but after Mario Puzo died, Francis Ford Coppola had no desire to, to keep on working on it. And it, it's kind of surprising they haven't tried remaking The Godfather or done something else with it. You could, couldn't you see like a Godfather TV series? Well, I mean, they did do the video games. They did the video games, yes, but I, I could see a Godfather TV series or something called like the Corleones, and and talk about stuff over in Italy, like a Yun Vito series. Mm. I don't know. Um, well, let's do a pitch a sequel. I have one in mind. All right. So, it picks up where Godfather Three left off. Michael Corleone dies on a bench. It holds in that shot painfully long. Like like the opening cr- credits are just like a minute long of like utter silence as Michael Corleone is, is dead on the bench. All of a sudden he jolts back up. He's not dead. He was faking his death. Disguised, <laughs> disguised as a bum and alone, hated by uh, his surviving family, alienated by his friends. He says... Uh, you know, I, I I have a buddy. He he looks and thinks. You know, all my friends hate me, but there's one guy I've heard about, who's uh, who's really tough. And this would have, he he's really tough. He can help me. And he gets on the phone and calls his friend from Miami, Scarface. 
also played by Al Pacino. <laughs> so it would be a, a Godfather, uh, Scarface team up. And Al Pacino would play both parts. He'd have a lot of green screen. You you would have a scene where like uh, Michael Corleone tries cocaine alongside uh, Scarface and says, oh, this is great. And Corleone cooks uh, a nice Italian dinner for Scarface, and Scarface says, mmm, delicious. It would be <laughs> very strange. Pacino and Pacino side by side, and they work on trying to uh, wipe out the competition to the Corleone family to make the Corleone family stronger, but at the same time, they have to hide their own identities. So meanwhile, the, the Corleones, uh, like like Vincent and, and Connie and so forth, they're wondering, well, gee, well, we're certainly getting... Stronger, we have less competition, but who's removing the competition? And you would have a final awkward confrontation scene between uh, Scarface, Michael Corleone, and Kay, and Connie, and Vincent at the end. Now, would there be cameos from other Pacino roles? Um, no. Like the taxi driver? No, that's not Pacino, that's De Niro. Well, the, well, he can be there too. Mm. Nah, I, I don't think so. Dog but, Day Afternoon. Nope, but I, th- I think you would call it the Godfather Part Four. Scarface is back. <laughs> well, I guess my uh, my pitch of sequel is going to be for. Uh, Godfather, Godfather left for dead, uh, and uh, with the number four, and the whole the whole premise is this: is we find out what happened to Michael Corleone between the end of Godfather three and his actual death on that on that park bench, and what actually happened is that you find out that that everything that happened in Godfather three was just a test that uh, the uh, that people in the Vatican pulled all the strings and made sure that most of the Corleone family would be dead and that Michael would be totally separated and alone because they needed a man with vast resources who had nothing to live for for a very special mission. And that mission is to eliminate all the world's vampires. So Michael Corleone becomes the Vatican's top vampire hunter. And he uses all of his mafia connections, skills, and resources to travel the world fighting monsters and laying down some Old Testament law. And it all builds up because he's fighting his way to the core of this international vampire conspiracy. Uh, And what you find out is that the the vampire that's created this global plague of vampires that that he's been fighting for the church this whole time is in fact the severed head of the horse from the first film. Uh, That movie producer was so desperate to get his horse back that a voodoo curse was placed on the (laughs) horse's head to bring the horse back to life. But it, and it didn't quite work. Instead, it made the horse the first vampire, a flying vampire horse head, much like the flying Dracula head from Marvel Comics' Tomb of Dracula. So Michael Corleone has a thrilling rooftop battle above New York with uh, the vampire horse head, and he finally defeats it uh, by impaling it on top of the Chrysler building. See, symbolism, Chrysler building. Mm. Uh, and the rays of the sun destroy the vampire head, ending the global vampire plague. However, Corleone is – and Corleone is, as you know what? 
I died with the, having done a job well done. He's sort of as Bronson-y by that point. So you find out that he actually died happy on that bench because he died knowing the Earth was safe. Well, let's... Do you have uh, any sequel news you want to share? I, I do. Uh, have you seen the commercial for the TV show Gotham? No, I the have trailer? not seen that yet. Okay. It, it's, uh, so what it is, it's a, a series coming out this fall, I believe, on Fox. And it's sort of doing like what Smallville did for Superman, but the difference is Gotham, the main character, is uh, Commissioner, Commissioner Gordon. Gordon. Although I don't think he's a commissioner in this. And Bruce Wayne is maybe like 12 years old. And it's going to feature like a lot of. I don't before know. Before they were supervillain kind yeah, of Yeah, before characters. they were supervillain stuff with like Penguin and, and Joker and, and all this sort of stuff. Poison Ivy. Um, so I think that they're having to focus on Gordon is smarter than just having like a, a young man that's Batman. So um, I, I'm, I'm mildly intrigued. But I mean, the one part in the, in the little trailer that's ridiculous is it says like, you know, before Batman, and then it goes on and shows like the younger Batman in the TV show, and then it goes on and says like before Penguin, and shows a clip of that actor before Poison Ivy, and it does that with like six names, <laughs> and it just robs it of like the what it done at once. Like, okay, that's cool. I, I get that. If, if if they had like if it had been before Batman before the Joker, like mm-hmm. it should be three things before yes. something before something there was something right. But no, there's like six, and it's kind of ridiculous. But I think that that concept is promising. It's certainly more interesting to me than what the the premise of Smallville was. You know that that would be another like uh, another like long cut I'd love to see where you just keep adding like befores and it gets into more and more obscure villains. You know, before the Mad Hatter, right? Before False Face, before Bookworm. You know, and eventually it's like before Condiment King, mm-hmm. before the Dog Welder. Uh, what's a piece of sequel news that sticks out for you? Well, I am. I, I don't. We need a word for for being both sh- for being shocked by something that is completely predictable. But uh, it has been announced that there is going to be a Simpsons Family Guy crossover episode. I've uh, heard of that. Yes, and this this has to be something done at the assistance of, of Fox because it's been my understanding that Matt Groening has always been sort of very protective of the Simpsons and preventing these kind of crossovers from happening. The, when they did the crossover with the critic, he was that was really done as a concession to the network. He was uh, he was against that completely. Uh, and inter- interestingly enough, if you listen to the audio commentary for that episode, according according to that audio commentary, that recording was the first time Matt had ever actually seen that episode. That was how against it he was. He did not attend table reads. He did not attend screenings. He just backed out of the show for that episode. Did he seem to like the um, episode on the commentary? He he did not like it, but like he he said, it's not. It wasn't that bad. 
Like it's not it's not like the quality of the show wasn't what he was against. He just felt it sort of violated the integrity of the series to do a crossover, particularly one to get ratings for a different show. So is this crossover episode going to be a Simpsons episode or a Family Guy episode? The article I read uh, seems to say that it uh, is is reporting that it is a Simpson episode that the Family Guy characters will be on. And if, if in a significant way, they won't if they won't just be showing up for a cameo like the uh, Hank Hills family did on that uh, that Pee Wee soccer episode of The Simpsons. This will actually be a story involving these characters coming together. I just find it surprising because on the the commentaries and the DVDs and in interviews and stuff, uh, it seems like a lot of the Simpsons uh, writers and producers uh, actively dislike Family Guy. Well, they share some writers and directors. There are people who have moved between the show, but I, and I've said I've, I will probably be saying this for a while. I don't think Family Guy is a good show, and how it stays on the air amazes me. I think I like Family Guy, and um, I think it's declined in, in quality. Some it's been sort of. Is maybe one or two good episodes per season. Um, I'm seeing here this article has a picture of the crossover episode. Have you seen that? Oh, is this um, is this with uh, Bart and Stewie uh, skateboarding? No, this is with Homer and uh, Peter getting drunk. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that's actually from that episode or if that's a piece of fan art or, or oh, part of a cutaway be. gag. I see. Because it's my understanding that this episode like hasn't been recorded yet. Well done. Although what's also okay. interesting is that while all the, the, the cast members who do the Simpson family are, are signed up for this episode, Hank Azaria and Harry Shear are not. Why not? It does not say. All, it's, all it says that th- is that they're not involved. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering. If, I'm wondering if it's just a scheduling conflict, or if they've backed out because they feel it violates the show's integrity. Seth MacFarlane has been on an episode of Futurama as a voice. True. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, I I wouldn't mind catching the newer Simpsons stuff, but it's just not. I cannot watch it on demand through Hulu on my TV through Hulu Plus. I'd have to watch it on my computer, which is obnoxious. I don't understand why they make that distinction for some TV shows. Because someone at the Fox Network is always a jerk. I guess that's right. Um, it's the same guy who canceled Firefly yeah. and renewed the third season of Sliders. One last uh, sequel news thing. Have you seen this picture from Twitter of Ben Affleck in the new Batman suit? Oh, yes. Yes, I have. And thoughts on that? So director Zack Snyder of the new um, Superman and Batman film, there's no official title for it yet. Um, well, he's, he I mean, they're, they're, clearly, they're clearly, he's clearly channeling Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. I, but I don't like, 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 I, I don't mind the short ears. I think that's, I think that's neat. I kind of, I, I feel, I feel like the bat symbol on his chest doesn't look like a bat. It looks like like it, it looks like Superman's S shield got slightly melted, and I maybe, no and maybe that's to, intentional. Maybe they're yeah. trying to create a parallel, but I feel like 
it does. It just does not read as a bat to me. That it's not a shape that would strike terror into a uh, criminal's heart. The th- and and like I also think the muscle padding goes over the top because it makes it look like he's just completely roided out. I think it's Down smart to- that it looks a lot different from the Christian Bale Batman outfit. No, and I think and I and I think that that's good. It's, well, actually, you know, okay. Here's I think this sums up what why I don't. I like the cape and cowl. I don't like the the suit itself. And I, here's why: it looks like a wealthy playboy commissioned somebody to make an awesome Batman costume, and this is what he ended up with. Mm. I want I want to look muscly and powerful, and it'll be interesting to see the color scheme if they go with some blues and grays instead of like the all black. They. they... I... I've to do. actually seen lots of edits of of this photo with the suit colored in in different ways according to different Batman color schemes. Although my favorite is one where it's this completely chaotic, brightly colored costume, but the huh. colors are being painted in by Batmite. <laughs> uh, I like the peak of the Batmobile we get. You don't get to see that much of it, but it, it has big, thick wheels, looks kind of more sleek towards the top. It already looks appears to look more like a traditional Batmobile than the kind of tank thing we got in the Dark Knight trilogy. It has kind of a spaceship vibe to me. I'm wondering if it can also turn into a Batwing. Oh, wow. They could go there. They could, they could. And and the thing I'm... I'll be fascinated when they release the first teaser for this film... Because I want to hear what Ben Affleck's Batman voice sounds like. I'm, I'm almost imagining it's going to be this gravelly John Wayne Lee Marvin thing, <laughs> just just to just to keep it in sync with the whole Frank Miller Batman. That uh, that Lex Luthor, he's pretty tough, but not as tough as me. I'm gonna beat the shit out of you. I mean, I think it. I don't think he's going to try to do a, a Christian Bale copy. Oh no, I don't like, think so. Come on, Superman, let's go to the Daily Planet. Let's rattle some cages. <laughs> Can you drive stick? <laughs> yeah, that was a curious choice, and we've actually talked about the Dark Knight films. Check out those episodes, <laughs> SequelCast at SequelCast dot com. Well, I think we've uh, talked about a variety of um, sequel news here. Oh, indeed. So uh, I think you got a question for me, Thrasher. Yes, and that question is, where is the money, you son of a bitch? They're going to take my thumbs! No, that question is, uh, what you watching? What am I watching? Let's take a look-see. What are you in the process of observing with your eyes? I saw a documentary called When Jews Were Funny. Huh. On, it was streaming on Netflix, watching instantly. And it it's interesting. At first I thought it was going to be about um, old Jewish comedians, which it kind of is, but it's more about Jewish culture. Uh, the director, and you, you see him on camera a bit, um, Alan Zweig, Zweig, I don't really know if that's a comedian or, or what he does, but he's basically exploring across 
uh, he's a Canadian uh, Jew, and he's exploring across the country, uh, talking to really old, like, Borscht Belt uh, Jewish comedians, and he's trying to figure out, like, what's what's lost in that style of comedy compared to modern comedy. How much did that inspire modern comedy? Um, why do older uh, Jewish people talk different than than modern Jewish people? And he, he talks several times about how he feels comforted of the, the sound of an old Jewish person with this particular dialect speaking because it reminds him of his grandparents. And uh, just the whole uh, culture issue of it gets more and more pronounced as it as it goes on and it's um it's very very interesting i think you know they don't talk mark Marin is one of the more modern people they talk to they talk to gilbert Gottfried, but it's mainly like a really a lot of really older uh comedians that you you might not have heard about and one person they talk to is uh super dave osborne himself Oh, cool. Played by Bob, uh, you know, the Einstein. real guy's named Bob Einstein, yeah. So, pretty neat. I, I would I would recommend that. It's a little bit of a slow start. Not quite a, a comedy documentary, although it kind of is, but I think it's, it's pretty good. It's worth your time. Cool. I want to check that out. Yep. Uh, what's something you've been watching? Well, n- nothing so high class as as that documentary. Uh, I finally saw Teaserama. What's that? Well, Teaserama was one of the burlesque films by uh, by producer director Irving Claw. Uh, it is uh, e- even though the uh, burlesque performer Tempest Storm is the top build and most celebrated performer uh, in in this 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 film, uh, it's it's infamous for starring Betty Page. Oh. Okay, and really, all it is is it basically it's a camera set up in front of a burlesque show. I mean, you're just seeing a burlesque show acted out in front of a camera from beginning to end. It's a little over an hour long. Uh, you know, you see you see different striptease and different burlesque acts. There are uh, Betty Page in addition to to doing some dance routines and and sharing a couple of scenes with Tempest Storm. Betty Page also brings out the title cards to announce the the new acts. And there's also a couple of uh, there's also a couple of comedians that that show up between routines cuz cuz you always got to have a comedian to class up the joint to be on stage when the cops show up. I think it was good. Well, you know what it is I, I love this. I love this kind of thing on a lot of different levels. So I, I was very entertained by that. But if you don't like Betty Page, if you don't like burlesque, if you don't like cheesy old comedians, this probably isn't the the movie for you. Hmm. I mean, it really is an artifact of its time. But if you if you want to see how burlesque was done back back when it was real burlesque, this is where you got to go. Yeah, you might like um, what is this documentary? I I reviewed it a, a while ago. I believe it's called The Notorious Betty Page. Yes, there is such a documentary by Mary Heron. Um. Yeah, oh no, I, it's a biographical film. It's not a documentary. Wait, what? Oh, that's not the one I'm thinking. Yeah, that's the TV movie. Gee, what's the Betty Page documentary? I'll, I'll look Reveals it up. Reveals all. Uh, it's of course the. I, I did, yeah. That, that is the one I saw. Uh, Betty Page reveals is, all. Is significant 
because a lot of the narration is taken from audio interviews with Betty. Right. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. It's it's actually it's been on my to watch list for ever since it came out. Yeah, I got I got to review it for Battleship Retention uh, um, a while ago, and I, I really liked it. I didn't know that much going in, and I, I think I've talked about this briefly on the show. But right, that a lot of it is taken from an interview with a lengthy audio interview with her um, is, is pretty effective, and it kind of tells her whole life's story, and it's. It's it's pretty good, and you you get a lot of uh, I, I would say easily hundreds, if not thousands, of Betty Page uh, pictures, both clothed and not, are on display in the film. Very cool. So I think you would get a kick out of it. Um, there's some really sad stuff that went on in her life too that it goes into. Oh yeah. And I was expecting it to be kind of cheesecake from the the poster, and it as well, a, a poster. Lot of, yeah, the poster has that gorgeous black and white image of Betty Page by the artist Olivia. Sure, I think part of the movie even takes place at a Betty Page art gallery where they talk to some modern people that are inspired by Betty Page. So it's time for the Paul Goebel Memorial Mashup. Why don't you explain what that is to our listeners? Well, what I do is I take two different impressions, combine them into one impression, and Matt and our guests have to figure out what that impression is. And of course, the name of that impression will be a combination of the names of the different parties involved. What started out as a delightful running gag has become my favorite chore of the week. Take that, grouting. This podcast is a chore, is it? No, no, no. The the coming up with the mashup is my favorite chore. I see. It's the thing I have to do every week, but I enjoy doing it. So get started. All righty. So here is the Paul Goebel Show Memorial Mashup. With the lights out, it's less dangerous. Here we are now. Entertain us. I feel stupid and contagious. Here we are now. Entertain us. A mulatto. And albino. A mosquito. My libido. Hey, yeah, hey, yeah. Hmm. So, um, I recognize the, the artist of that song is Nirvana. And the lead singer was, was Kurt Cobain. Um, it almost sounds like you were doing Shatner, but I think not not quite. You were a bit high-pitched for, for Shatner. Yeah, I, I can't think of, of, of a combination for that. <laughs> I, I have no idea. The, the, there those, are those two are the, correct answers. Those are the clues coming up in my mind. Oh, you... William Shatner Nirvana? Yes, that is okay. an acceptable answer. And what else was the other acceptable one? I, I would have also accepted Captain James T. Kurt Cobain. Ah, Fascinating, fascinating. <laughs> I got that right when I was convinced I didn't. And then I, I thought, well, gee. <laughs> it's, it's just difficult enough. That's what I'm going for. Oh, that, that's good. I think that's uh, quite as obscure as some of your, your other ones. So yeah, it's no Yggdrasil Sylvester Stallone. No, that was perhaps the... That, you know, that so far is the benchmark for the most arcane yes, mashup. Very arcane. So, Thrasher, why don't you pick out what we cover next? 
well, we were talking about this before the show, but I I am going to stick with it. I I think we should cover the heavy metal films, heavy metal and heavy metal two thousand. It's a great idea. I have only seen the first one. I've never seen the second one. You you are you are in for a kind of ride. Fantastic. So that's what we'll be covering uh, as our next franchise in the sequel cast, Heavy Metal and Heavy Metal 2000. But I think uh, we have not done an animated film series in quite some time. Yeah, what was, the, what was the last animated series we did? Was it Aladdin or did we do something? I think it was Aladdin. We did Lord of the Rings, we did Aladdin. I can't think of another animated series we've done since then. Aladdin was all the way back in 2011. Oh, wow. So three. I'd have to look into that, but I believe you're right. And it's not like we hate animation. Far from it. Yeah, but it just is, you know. Well, it's hard to find animated sequels that are in any way bearable. (laughs) Yes, and, you know, like Disney has saturated the market with uh, all this, you know. Like we could do Brother Bear and Brother Bear 2, but who would give a shit, really? There's so much stuff. That you could do, but I, I think that's an inspired choice, and of course you know a lot about the uh, heavy metal um, comic. Indeed, or both uh, heavy metal, metal hurlant. Uh, is it more appropriate to call it a magazine? I would, I would, yes, I would call it the 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 magaz- the uh, what what is their their slogan the the magazine of illustrated adult fantasy? But yeah, you can call it a magazine. It's a magazine format. Uh, do you know Sci-Fi Channel has a new series uh, called Metal Hurlant Chronicles? Well, it's not entirely new. It actually oh. started airing in Europe two years ago. But I, I have been looking forward to that. Have you seen it yet? Not yet. Okay. Oh, I see. It's a an anthology series. Interesting. I did not know that. Yes. Because the way they advertise it, you don't have an idea what the hell the series is. <laughs> I, I want you know. I wonder if they think that the, an audience won't warm up to an anthology series. Mm, maybe. I mean, I don't think the the title "Metal Hurlant Chronicles" does it any favors. True. Could they have called it "Heavy Metal Chronicles"? Or? Well, they they couldn't because it's actually based it's based on the mag the French magazine Metal Hurlant, which inspired the American magazine Heavy Metal. Hmm. They're actually two separate entities. I suppose they could have licensed the name Heavy Metal, but that, that, for all I know, could have been a complete not licensing nightmare. And, uh, yeah, looking at it, it looks like, so far, two seasons have been made. Mm-hmm. And the second season is having its premiere overseas and uh, had its premiere in January 2014, so... Looks like a good group of actors. I, I know nothing about the series, but now that I, I hear it's an anthology series, I'm far more interested in it. Because when's the last time there's been like a anthology science fiction series? That uh, never happens. There, well, the Sci-Fi Channel in the late '90s did one called "Welcome to Paradox," and I could swear there was another one between then and now. There was that revive. There was in in the the early to mid two thousands. There was that Twilight Zone revival, and there was that spinoff of Tales from the Crypt. Oh, perversions of science. Perversion of science. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to check out this Metal Hurlant Chronicles to tie in with our other stuff. Uh, pretty interesting. So, um, where can listeners find more of your work, Thrasher? Well, they can, of course, uh, they can uh, follow me on Twitter at, uh, at Internet Mayor. They can uh, look for my stuff on drivethroughrpg.com. Just look for William Thrasher and William T. Thrasher. I have credits under both names. I'm trying to get them all under one name, but that takes time. Um, let's see. You can also, of course, uh, look for me on Facebook. And if you are going to be in Comic Palooza in Houston, Texas, Memorial Day weekend, I will be there running special events and doing panels. Uh, if you want to see me in person, I will also be at the Origins Game Fair in June and in August. I will be, oh God, I'm going to be a lot of places in August. I will be at Gen Con, uh, in Indianapolis. Uh, and, uh, I will be at the Scarefest, uh, in September in Lexington, Kentucky. You can follow me on Twitter at SequelCast. And our Facebook page, again, is at facebook.com slash SequelCast. And if you're in the Portland, Oregon area, you can catch me every Tuesday night from 8 to 10 p.m. I host a pub quiz for Geeks Who Drink at the Ram in Wilsonville, Oregon. It's about 18 miles outside of Portland. It's uh, a lot of fun. they got a pretty good menu there. And I think I, I've learned a lot uh, with them so far, uh, hosting trivia. You know, you're doing it, it's a way to practice public speaking. You get better at operating a soundboard. You have to react a bit to the audience, the crowds. You have your regulars, but then you also have new people coming in a lot, which makes it mixes it up a bit. So pretty interesting. You can catch so anyway, if you're in the Oregon area, catch me at the Ram Wilsonville, uh eight to ten PM Tuesday nights. Very for, cool. For the sequel cast, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying. You need someone young for this part. Someone like, uh, I don't know, uh, my daughter Sophia. <laughs> Do you remember that from the critic? Uh, I, I remembered the animation, but what was the whole gag? Well, look, is, is that Jay Sherman was making Ghost Chasers 3. That's and right. He's, talk, he's talking to other directors for advice. And one of the directors is Francis Ford Coppola. And Francis Ford Coppola just keeps suggesting that he cast Sofia Coppola in the movie. And they actually talk about that on the audio commentaries for that episode of The Critic. That when they, is that that's such a dated joke. Because when they, when they wrote, made that joke, like everyone knew Sofia Coppola from Godfather 3. That's all anyone knew her from. No one had any idea she would go on to be a respected director with a good body of work. <laughs> Like it make it makes it look like Ford Coppola is actually giving Jay Sherman good advice because of that. And I guess I will do my my best. By best, I mean worst. Pacino impersonation. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. If I were to kill every drug dealer in this room, I'd be the only guy left alive. Don't you ever, again, give that kind of order. Not while I'm still alive and breathing, understand? Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? I don't see anyone else. Hoo-ha! So you must be talking to me. I'll end on this monologue that's full of uh, curse words. Oh, goody. And every time I say a curse word, Thrasher, can you do this? Try and, like, beep to block me as I'm saying it. 
I will do my best. I'm going to post this speech in the, the Skype window. I think this will be fun to end the show. Okay, you see that? So, anytime, oh, oh, wow. Okay, yeah. here we go. So anytime I say something that's an offensive word, try and, and beep to cut me off. It was the wrong decision. I command this family, right or wrong. It was not what I wanted. It still isn't. How dare you? How you disrespect me and you disrespect yourself. You little prick. How dare you? How could you? You did this to me. You did this to your own flesh and blood. You make this decision while I lie in a hospital bed. You fucking little shit. I should kill you. I should shoot you down right now where you stand. You fucking piece of shit. You fucking fool. I didn't want that. You should have known that. You don't deserve to be a part of my family. You little fuck. You little fucking fuck. I should have had you fucking whacked right here, right now, you stupid fuck. I don't care who you got the go-ahead from. You're a fucking stupid little fuck. And you don't deserve the position you're in. You fuck. You fucking fuck. Fuck you. Uh, so tune in next week and where we talk about heavy metal and heavy metal uh, 2000. Fucking A. <laughs> The sequel cast is a Hipster Goblin production. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.